Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. We got a good episode for you today. As you can see, Ben Bayshore is our guest today, crew chief of the 42 Cup Series Toyota at Legacy Motor Club. No dollar in the swear jar there. Uh, interesting conversation with him. One of the smarter, somewhat newer minds in the Cup Garage, the shot caller for John Hunter Nemechek. We'll get into that a little bit more later on. But before we do any of that, we got to throw it over to Papa Siegel with this week's Wayback segment, paying homage to his NASCAR Mandela moment. If you're not familiar with uh, the Mandela effect, we chatted about it a lot this past weekend on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Myself and Brad Gilly did. His has to do with Tiregate, but maybe not one that you're familiar with. At least I wasn't. Have a listen. Thank you, Duke, and welcome everyone to episode 212. As you may know, NASCAR just inducted Donnie Allison, Chad Knauss, and Jimmy Johnson into its Hall of Fame. Well-deserved inductions all. Funny, when I think about Chad and Jimmy, I usually think about a famous NASCAR controversy that didn't actually involve them at all. It happened in 1998 and was called Tiregate, but it involved the Ray and Jeff pairing of superlative driver crew chiefs at Hendrick Motorsports, not Chad and Jimmy. Even then, they were different times, my friends, when NASCAR's rulebook and enforcement arm was still trying to level its playing field of creative crew chiefs who still were finding ways to gain competitive advantage over each other. You ever wonder why so few crew chiefs, relatively, are in the HOF? Hmm? Mark Martin was dominating the 300-lapper at New Hampshire that year. During a late caution, he and the other top contenders pitted for four tires. Jeff Gordon had been running mid-pack most of the day, and his crew chief, Ray Everingham, opted for two for track position. Gordon was able to hold on over the last 67 laps to claim his sixth win in eight races. Martin led 193 of the 300 laps that day, but finished second to Gordon again, as he had done for the fifth time over that same stretch. It was too much for Martin's car owner, Jack Roush, to take. He couldn't believe that the 24 car was capable of dominating everyone without employing some monkey business, so he cried foul to NASCAR and suggested that the 24 car was soaking its tires. That struck a nerve with NASCAR, which was still trying to overcome decades of creative crew chiefs trying to gain advantage by doing things like installing extra-large gas tanks, oversized fuel lines and engines, and using jet fuel, spiked gasoline, and non-standard chassis. Tire soaking was one of those no-nos. 
when applied to the outside of tires, especially the non-radial tires used back then, the liquid soaking agent softens the tire, which in the short term increased traction, but also made the tires wear out faster. Tire softeners were legal in some local racing series, especially short dirt tracks, but not in NASCAR and definitely not on faster paved tracks. So, NASCAR seized the tires from both Gordon's and Martin's cars for testing. A heated argument between Roush and Everingham ensued in the garage, with Ray famously being heard yelling, It's the air, Jack! referring to the air in the tires. They took their arguments to the press, who had a field day with it. Prior to the Southern 500 the following week, NASCAR's competition director, Gary Nelson, a famed crew chief in his own right, said the tires from both teams came back clean and were being sent to another lab for additional testing, which only stoked the fire. NASCAR even changed its procedure for handing out tires at Darlington by not giving them out to the teams until right before the race to avoid there being enough time to soak them if that's what was happening. It made no difference in the results. Gordon won again his record fourth straight Southern 500 en route to a championship year while Martin blew an engine and finished 40th. One week later at Richmond, NASCAR and Goodyear held a joint press conference to announce that after multiple rounds of rigorous laboratory testing, all the tires came up clean and legal. Tiregate officially ended, though I bet that if you pulled Jack Roush aside even today and pumped him full of truth serum, he'd still say he thinks the 24 car was soaking its tires that year. That's all for this week. Back to you, Doof. Thank you, Dad. Interesting deep dive there and a history lesson of sorts. I had vaguely heard of this saga, Tiregate. It's funny, like we got gates all over the place, right? You had the flight gate in football, and then every time Tom Brady or the Patriots did anything that remotely challenged the rule book, it was a gate. And um, this was Tiregate with Ray Everham and Jeff Gordon and Jack Roush, not with Chad Knauss and Jimmy Johnson. So there's your Mandela moment, Father. Uh, thank you for that deep dive in that way back segment. All right, let's start off this episode as we always do. And that, of course, my friends, is with a good old-fashioned... And without further ado, without pissing off any more of my neighbors here in my apartment, let's throw it over to our interview with Ben Bayshore of Legacy Motor Club. Spread a lot of fields here. Obviously, they are transitioning over to Toyota from Chevrolet. He and his driver are transitioning from the Xfinity to the Cup Series, but they both have Cup Series experience. Do they feel like they have something to prove and a chip on their shoulder of sorts? He will answer that question for you. As you guys know, my better half, Robin, she is a Virginia Tech Hokie. Ben Bayshore is as well. We chatted about his upbringing, his college experience, and what drew him to motorsports, NASCAR specifically, and what led him to where he is now as a crew chief at the sports top level. Interesting guy, bright mind in the garage. Looking forward to hearing what you think about Ben Bayshore right here in Victory Lane. Pleasure to welcome onto the show this week, crew chief of the 42 Toyota 
for Legacy Motor Club. Did not put a dollar in the swear jar there. I'm sure you probably have in the last little bit. It is Ben Bayshore. Let's get that out of the way first. Is it weird for you going to a former Chevrolet team, now switching over to Toyota, or nothing new for you since you were doing this last year? Yeah, not too much new for me. Uh, you know, I've been part of the Toyota camp for for nine years. This will be my tenth. So, uh, actually, a lot of familiar familiarity there. Uh, already knowing the people over over at Toyota and uh, knowing a lot of the processes and systems in place. That's that's kind of been the easy part so far. So we are now full steam ahead towards LA for the Clash, and obviously after that Daytona for Speed Week and the 500. But before we get there, how has your off-season been? Did you and the family do anything fun? You take any trips, gelling with your new, a.k.a. old driver? Tell me about the off-season for you. Yeah, it's been good. Uh, after Phoenix, we took a little trip out to Disneyland for a few days with the kids and uh, uh, spent some time with family. Um, you know, boys are in basketball right now, so just trying to, you know, soak up all that as much as we can before the season kicks off here. When you went to Disneyland, did you guys visit Cars Land, I have to ask? Of course we did, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Did, did your kids get themselves a real-life piston cup? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, they're they're more into the, the superheroes and that kind of stuff, so okay. that, that they're more into uh, Batman and Spider-Man and, and all, the, all those attractions. Gotcha. Well, I'm glad they had fun. Seems like a nice, relaxing time for you, but a big off-season and a big transition for not just yourself, but the race team that you're now with and Legacy Motor Club, kind of like we mentioned before, it's an interesting spot for you to be in, I would presume, Ben, because you were with Toyota last year, with John Hunter last year. You guys are staying with the same manufacturer, staying as the same driver-crew chief pairing. You're just moving up a level, which is a big task, don't get me wrong, but a lot of people around you are dealing with a lot of things that are new. How has that transition been organizationally for you? So far, it's been great. Uh, I inherited a really good team up here, so I'm looking forward to working with the guys. Um, yeah, obviously the the company's growing and expanding here, so um, you know, just trying to put all the tools in place to to make a successful program for for going forward, and uh, um, not just next year, but but in the future. So um, right now, we're just focused on building the building the team the best we can, and and you know, there there are some. Some changes, like you said, uh, there's some familiarity, but a lot of new stuff here working for a new new organization. But uh, Jimmy and Maury have been great to work with so far, and, and it's uh, it's been going really well. So you jump in from Xfinity to Cup and from JGR to Legacy. You're kind of starting anew on one foot. While there are a lot of people around you, whether it's Eric and Dave or even Jimmy, that are trying to maybe unlearn some things that they've been used to for the last year or two, or in Jimmy's case, decades, right? Does that make it any easier for you to know that you're coming into a situation with a fresh slate of paper and also with the same driver from last year? Uh, I don't know if it makes it any easier. I, you know, I, I was, I did cup for a couple of years there. So I have a little bit of background with the next gen car. I think that that helps a ton. Um, just having that year under my belt in 22, um, knowing the cars and kind of what the problems they fought you know obviously there's a lot to learn last year that i sort of missed out on so i'm just trying to catch up on that a lot of that stuff but uh, yeah it, it's definitely a, if uh if you were starting out with no next gen experience jumping right in while, while everyone has two years experience because the, the cars are so different right uh you know it, from trucks to xfinity and and the old gen six cars you know there's a little bit of differences but it's a lot of the same stuff so 
the, the next gen is just a completely different animal. So, uh, fortunately I have that year under my belt of that, you know, all the trials and tribulations of that first year and next gen stuff and, and how the rules are enforced and, and those type of things that, uh, we can hit the ground running here. You think Dave Ellens is tired of seeing your name pop up on his phone from all the questions you're probably asking him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely a lot of meetings here and, and trying to get back up to speed, but yeah, he, he's been great to work with so far. And, uh, you know, really having somebody with a lot of experience working within the company and, and the ins and outs of that. And then last year's experience of, you know, the, they really came on strong at the end of the year. So kind of seeing what they they were doing and 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 where the success that I thought they where they thought their success was coming from. Um, you know, just trying to pick up all those little details so we can uh, we can start off strong. To your point about a lot of things changing with the next gen car, you had a whole year of experience under your belt. But how much did change, at least that you can tell, from 22 to 23 and now from 23 to 24? Dave, obviously, is somebody I'm sure you're going to use as a resource. But while you were with Joe Gibbs Racing last year, they had four next-gen teams in the building. You were a little bit busy trying to win, and you did win seven times in the Xfinity Series. But how much has changed, do you think, in the year or so that you were gone? Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's continuous development. Um, like you'd expect any, in any kind of new series or, or anything there, the geometries are getting, you, you know, more refined. This, the setups are getting more refined of, of trying to figure out what makes this thing handle the best and put it in the best aerodynamic situations. Just those little details of, you know, just sort of stacking little things that you learn here and there along the way and, and, you know, building on those, you know, that, stacking those little things together makes tenths of a second. And then, you know, that can take you from a, a 20th place car to a top five car. So just trying to get all those little nuance type things that, um, you know, makes a successful program. Let's talk about last year for a minute or so. Obviously there's not much to get accustomed to when it comes to you and your driver, you guys won seven times last year. It might sound simple, but I'm sure that the answer is not so simple. Can you pinpoint what works between you and John Hunter? Yeah, I think, you know, we early on, we had really good communication of, of you know, he hadn't given really good feedback and me kind of getting a sense of what I thought he needed in a, in the car to be, to go fast, um, you know, his his type of style of driving. You know, we just sort of gelled, you know, in the off season and, and hit the ground running early there, you know, being able to pick up some wins early. And, and you know, once you kind of build on that success and, go through some trials and tribulations and come out the other side with some success that that really just builds that chemistry and that team bond. And, 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 you know, that was something we wanted to continue here next this year. Um, you know, building with, with the guys, a good rapport with the guys in the pit crew and, and, you know, just keeping that chemistry going of, of what was working last year. You guys won seven times, like I said, last year, and a lot of those came early. You hit the ground running. Were you surprised at all at the amount of success that you guys had and the frequency that you had it? Um, uh, surprise. No, no, I, you know, I, I knew he was a good driver coming off, you, you know, he had a couple successful campaigns and trucks. I knew we had a successful program at the Xfinity shop. It, you know, I think year in year out JGR has, you know, they're able to put a ton of wins together at the Xfinity level. So, uh, merging those two together that I, I thought it would be successful and, and we happened to, you know, execute on a, a number of times and, and grab some wins there. So how did the conversations go when he was moving up and you obviously went with him? I'm curious because it makes sense to pair the Xfinity driver and crew chief 
with each other moving up. Same with trucks to Xfinity, et cetera, et cetera. But did you call somebody? Did they call you? Was it Toyota? Was it John Hunter himself? Was it Legacy? Connect the dots for us here. Uh, yeah, so it just kind of, um, you know, everything sort of lined up, I guess, in terms of, you know, obviously we're under, there's contracts involved and and that type of thing. My contract was expiring, uh, you know, at the end of last year. Um, so I, you know, I wanted, with a relationship John Hunter and I had, you know, I, if, if there wasn't, uh, you know, something for me to go back to cup at JGR, I, I was open to come over here and, you know, it, you know, everything kind of aligned there and, and worked out. So, uh, really fortunate. It was just more of a timing thing more than anything. Uh, JGR has some great cup crew chiefs over there and, and, uh, you know, there wasn't a spot for me there at, at the cup level. So, um, made the decision to come over here, you know, with them going to Toyota and John Hunter is like, like I talked about earlier, it's just a lot of familiarity there and, and something I feel like I can build on. And, um, you know, it's sort of an up and coming organization and, you know, I had a lot of interest in, in helping build it to, uh, to a championship caliber program. John Hunter has spent some time in the cup series. He has a full year under his belt. You did the same thing with Kyle. You guys won a handful of times as well, back a couple of years ago. And then you both went down to the Xfinity series. He went down to the truck series. You're now back in the cup series at the top level together. Do either of you have any chip on your shoulder at all? Any ounce of, Hey, I got to prove these haters wrong. Like I'm back where I belong type of thing. Or is that not really your vibe? Uh, for sure. That's, you know, we both have that internally, um, you know, and I think everybody in the cup series has that to a certain extent, you know, you're trying to prove yourself that, that you belong at the top level. So uh, I, I think it's not unusual for everyone to have that sort of chip on their shoulder uh, until you, you know, you, you really have a ton of success. So, yeah, we're both anxious to, to prove that, that we belong up here and, and, and that we're here to stay. You strike me as like a quiet assassin, Ben. You're not going to boast <laughs> about it. You're not going to fub up your face and say, hey, look at me. But the results will show. I think that's probably fair, right? Yeah, yeah that's the plan for sure. <laughs> yeah. So you guys have worked together with the next gen car very briefly a handful of weeks ago out west in Phoenix for that short track package test. Got some news about the change to that going to take effect later on in the season. Obviously, that is an area that NASCAR and teams and everybody are trying to improve to make the product a little bit better. What were your takeaways from that test and with the package that we have now for 2024? Are you optimistic at what we may see on some of the short tracks? Yeah, I, I think it'll be a little bit better product for sure. Um, you know, NASCAR had a ton of stuff to try out there, you know, they obviously heard the feedback that the racing maybe at the short tracks wasn't as good as they wanted. So um, they had a bunch of different packages to try. And I think what we found out there was something that that'll definitely be a step in the right direction and something that they can build on and improve um, going forward. So I, I, you know, I'm optimistic that the short track racing will be a little bit better, you know, it won't be quite so uh, nose to tail where you can't make moves. It, this should open it up and, and make the cars a little bit more stable in passing situations where they can generate some runs and, 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 you know, have some more, some more mixing up through throughout the field. So that test was obviously at Phoenix, like we said, and it was the first time you and John Hunter got to work together in an next gen car in cup, obviously not in race conditions, but did you guys mesh together the way that you thought you would in an next gen car? There's no real change in terms of 
the voices that you're hearing on your headset, but the car that you're driving is obviously vastly different than what you were accustomed to last year. Yeah. I mean, for us, we were more out there on, you know, Eric and, and Dave were kind of running the test. John Hunter, um, you know, unfortunately wasn't able to make any laps out there driving. So we were just sort of there observing and, and trying to get up to speed, you know, um, with those guys and, and seeing what NASCAR had in store for us and, you know, looking at data and talking with Eric and, and just trying to be up to speed as much as we can on the, the upcoming changes. As a crew chief, I feel like you're a leader in multiple ways, right? Psychologically, that's a big thing, but also logistically, you got to be on top of it, especially for this 2024 cup schedule out to LA, back to Daytona, back out West, um, or excuse me, back down South to Atlanta. Then you're going back out West. Yeah. The super speedways back to back to open things up. How much of a headache or how much heartburn is that giving you as a crew chief? Uh, that's one of those things where it's not a headache until it is. Um, <laughs> you, you know, it, I've been part of Daytona Speed Weeks where it, it feels like you never stop crashing, uh, either in the 150s or practice crash or, or you know, uh, crashing in the race. So you, you could barely easily start your season in a huge hole. Um, if you have some bad luck down there, uh, things don't go your way in the 150 or, or, uh, you know, you have a bad couple of weeks, you get wrecked out with nothing you had anything to do with somebody, you know, made a mistake or popped a tire in, in a 40 car draft and, and you just get collected. So, um, you know, unfortunately these cars, you only have a handful of cars now. It's not like, you know, back a few years ago, you had, you started the season with like 15 cars sitting in your, in your, in your stable, <clears throat> um, you know, your, your cars are basically on a five or six week schedule. So if one gets hurt, um, you know, you're, you're starting from scratch and, and trying to catch back up. So it, it'll, you know, we can't go into it with that kind of mindset, just kind of have to be prepared uh, for the worst, I guess. And, and know that if something happens, it's just going to be a couple more hours in the shop, you know, for a few weeks of, of getting the things back on schedule and, and going from there. But um yeah, uh, hopefully we can get through these two weeks, you know, relatively unscathed, score some points, and and then, uh, you know, when the get through these speed weeks and the and the you know the I guess normal style racing, uh, short track and intermediate style racing, where you have a little bit more control over your own destiny. We were having this conversation on Sirius a couple of days ago, but with that back to back super speedway to open things up, it could put you in a significant points hole. But I think what maybe arguably even worse. And you can tell me what you think is from an inventory standpoint, to your point, you don't have 15 cars sitting there ready to go. And the shop's not going to be able to put stuff together like they once were able to. I hope this doesn't happen to you or anybody for that matter. But would it yeah. be worse to be in a points hole or an inventory hole after the first couple races? Uh, points for sure. I think yeah, no, the, the parts are, you know, it's not like that first year where, um, <laughs> you were really down on total parts, you know, uh, we're catching up with the bodies here, um, going to a, a new Camry body style this year. So those have been starting to trickle in over the last couple of weeks, but we're starting to get some inventory of, of body parts. Um, you know, in, in some ways it's a little bit easier when you do crash now with this car, if you can just put, throw a new clip on it. Um, and, and there's inventory of that stuff. So we're not, in too much of an inventory shortage like we were a couple of years ago, it's more of a, it's just going to be a time crunch, um, you know, with 
with a long travel time, us being based in, in North Carolina here, 48 or 40 hour drives out to Phoenix and the clash and, and Las Vegas that just that turnaround time, you know, you only have a few weeks, few days in the shop to get the things uh, out, out the door again. So, um, I don't think that would be that big of a deal. The, the points deal would be tough. You know, you're basically starting from a two race hole. If you have a couple of crashes there, and you know, just, just being able to get to call your way back into that, you know, into a position where you think at the end of the regular season, you can make a, a run at, to at, at making the playoffs. That, that'd be tough to start the race, start the season uh, sort of two races down there. Yeah. Every point matters. We've seen it come to fruition almost every single year. Um, last year, Ben, you and John Hunter were successful on pretty much every type of track, name it road course, super speedway, short track, intermediate in between you guys, one, or we're running inside the top five. Are there any specific track types that you guys are kind of honing in on for this year specifically as you make the jump? I don't think so. I, you know, obviously John Hunter has his, his strengths or his, you know, sort of his favorite tracks is, uh, Martinsville, Darlington, Kansas. You know, those are those are some of his favorites, and and he obviously excels there, or excels there. So, you know, those are some we have probably circled on the calendar a little bit more than the others. But, um, you know, like you said, he he was able to grab some wins at at Texas and Atlanta when we you know we weren't necessarily a, the best car. So just just being smart and you know any 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 weekend can be our weekend. So you know you just got to be on your toes and and put in the effort and and be there at the end of 400 or 500 miles. On the day that we're recording this, your boss is about to go into the hall of fame officially. Uh, and one of his counterparts in the hall of fame is also a part of the legacy motor club group. That being Matt Kenseth. What is it like to have those two guys as a boss? And I know, you know, we'll get to it here in a minute, but when you were starting out in NASCAR, Matt and Jimmy were two guys that you were racing against every single week and now they're your bosses of sorts and they're yeah. signing your paychecks. What's that like? Yeah, it's definitely different. You know, being, um, I, I came into the sport or in the cup racing at the 2008 season. And, you know, a lot of Jimmy's championships were, were, uh, uh, beating me. So, uh, this guy again. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, you know, he, he's obviously been a, a, a super tough competitor over the years and and to have him on your side is, is what you want at the end of the day so um to have to have that kind of leadership at the top is just huge here you know um you know we have a couple of young drivers for them to be able to lean on two two past champions um is is huge for for their growth and and knowing how to act and um you know sort of guiding their career and 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 all that stuff so um you know it's it's just huge from from all sides so I want to talk about you for a little bit, Ben. I, I feel like people have seen you around for a handful of years. They know that you're a perennial race winner, but they may not know the man behind the guy who sits <laughs> on the box. So let's, let's unpack this a little bit. I know you went to Virginia Tech. My girlfriend is a proud Hokie, and I'm an honorary okay. one being with her. So Gotcha. So nice. <laughs> um, but how did you go from York, Pennsylvania to Blacksburg, VA to NASCAR? Connect all the dots for us here, starting off with your undergraduate degree from from Virginia Tech. What made you want to go there? Yeah, I, I grew up racing um, and, and wanted to try to make a career out of it, you know, at the end of my high school career. So uh, I applied to, to several different schools down here near the Charlotte area, thinking that that would be, um, you know, the route to go. Uh, Clemson, Virginia Tech. I ended up picking Virginia Tech. Um, 
so yeah, did four year mechanical engineering degree there. Um, and really just once I graduated, I just packed up and moved to um, the Charlotte area and knocked on doors, um, tried to do whatever I could to get involved in racing and sort of get my foot in the door, um, worked for some sort of, you know, smaller uh, Bush teams at the time or Hooters Pro Cup teams. And then eventually got a job over at Bruco Motorsports in Kentucky. Um, you know, I was first kind of like race winning capable team um, over there for three years to like I joined on at Roush, came back to North Carolina at, at um, I guess it was Roush Fenway at the time uh, as a race engineer on the 16 car for for a while. So before that, I think I have my story right, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. You and I think it was your cousin, RJ, you started racing locally kind of around where you grew up. Was that like first generation racing passion for you guys? How did the love of motorsports and racing begin? Um, no, definitely not first generation. Uh, uh, my dad and uncle raced motorcycles. Um, that was my, my dad ran a couple of late model races, helped out with some late model teams. Um, so th they were into motorsports and, and, uh, you know, that was sort of our family hobby on the weekends. My uncle had a, a excavation business. We lived on a farm. He was able to cut a little track in there and just, you know, every Sunday afternoon, everyone would bring their cart out and we'd go, you know, <laughs> hundreds of laps, uh, on a dirt track and just, you know, mixing it up and having a good time. And that, you know, at a young age, I, I got tons of laps before I ever competed in an actual uh, sort of a sanctioned race or anything like that. So, you know, when I showed up at eight or nine years old at the local track, I had thousands more miles than the rest of the kids and experience. And, you know, that was able to give me some early success. And and that kind of all started from that. Were you and RJ on the same pit crew at Bruco? Yeah. Yeah. We were both tire carriers. That was uh, before the five man pit crews when you had two tire carriers. So, yeah, I, I carried rears and he carried fronts. <laughs> That must be an ultimate family flex at Thanksgiving. Huh? Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> no, that was a good time. Um, you know, uh, that was a great sort of an apprenticeship type program there. Uh, for me, just I, 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 you did a little bit of everything on those smaller uh, push teams, you know, in the early 2000s, you know, building shocks, setting cars up, um, being on the pit crew, um, doing a little bit of engineering here and there. So, you know, that. That, that was a great sort of first step in racing to to kind of get a grasp of everything where you weren't like on a bigger cup team where you're sort of way more specialized that was able to kind of gain more experience more uh, much faster than had it been on a, a different role. I know RJ at one point was with Joe Gibbs racing. I'm not sure if you guys overlapped. Is he still there? Is he still in the sport? Uh, yeah, he's, he's still in the sport. Uh, he, yeah, he worked at, a, at JGR for a long time uh, as a, a setup plate mechanic on the 11 and he was actually on my team when I was on the 18 uh in 22 yep wow pretty cool Bayshore taking over <laughs> <laughs> um so like you mentioned after Bruco you went over to what was then I guess like you said Roush Fenway or Roush Racing yeah uh, in the mid-2000s what was your role there like and at that time in general because it was kind of at the start of the engineering boom right when teams were hiring some more engineering driven minds and you kind of fit that bill perfectly yeah yeah so i started there two, 2008 season um as you know at that point in time there was only one engineer per team um you know i think most teams only carried one engineer 
you, you didn't have a ton of simulation at that point. Um, a lot of wind tunnel development, but not much simulation. So it's more, uh, I guess, more uh, testing and tuning, seven post work, um, pull down rig type work. Uh, that was sort of the coil bind area era for a while there. Um, you know, at the end of that or 2008 season. So, and then and then we went into the next, I guess that the car tomorrow type time frame. Um, so yeah, from that point till now, it's it's kind of crazy to see how how many more engineers teams carry. Um, you know, we have three on our team uh, now. So, um, you know, the amount of workload has just increased and increased as the technology kind of got better with simulations and simulators and all the testing and, and tire data that's available to you. It's just, it would be way too much for one guy to kind of crunch through um, like it was, you know, at that time frame. Yeah. As technologies evolved, as cars have evolved, as drivers have evolved, the crew chief role has evolved immensely as well. If you could, could you pinpoint one major thing that has changed the most throughout the years that you've been working on race teams? Um, yeah, I would say, I'd say just the, the amount of, I guess, the simulators have been a, a big part of that. The simulators and simulation from an engineering standpoint, um, just being able to model the car so well uh, compared to what we had, you know, it used to be very kind of crude. You know, you'd pick a couple of points in the corner that you could model. You know, now we're doing lap time sims. We have full simulators. We can we got scans of the track that include all the little nuanced bumps and everything that you can kind of work around. So, you know, that compared to what we had uh, 15 years ago, has just come such a long way in the, in the, the tire development and the, the aerodynamic modeling has, has just come so far that, um, you know, the tools that we used to use that were very clunky and cumbersome, you know, that used to take hours to set up. Now you do it in, you know, two and a half minutes, you got results back, just run it on a local computer. <laughs> so, yeah, that that's that that kind of engineering firepower has just come a long way um, compared to where I started for sure. A couple more quick ones before I let you go. Um, I hope that I've been saying it right, but I've heard a lot of people mess it up, and I think you know where I'm going. Can we get this on the record for once and for all? Is it Bayshore or yes. Bshore? <laughs> Bayshore, yeah. Thank you. Okay, yeah. how many times do people still mess it up? Oh, all the time. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's. <laughs> I don't know if you come up with the spelling and pronunciation, some some relative a couple hundred years ago, probably, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> whatever. As long as I got it right, that's all I care One about. One of those um, French, German, moved to America, probably got it, the letters yeah. all mixed up. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Last thing for me, in terms of expectations for 2024, you and John Hunter, I mean, do you sit down and go through, this is what we want to accomplish, this is what we're capable of? Do they kind of change and range throughout the season? How do you guys approach the year in terms of what you're expecting? Yeah, we we haven't really had that conversation yet. Um, I I don't really know, to be honest, on on expectations. I, you know, just continuous improvement. I, I think if we just judge ourselves off of where we start and we, we get better and better every week, and you know, and we're knocking on the door for top tens on a consistent basis, I I think you know that that will obviously bleed into more success. So. I think just kind of building on the team, you know, this isn't, we're not going to, I don't, you know, go win 10 races this year, but you know, we want to be there, um, make smart decisions, be there at the end of these things and, and collect as many points as we as possible every week. And, you know, 
try to make a run at, at making the top 16, I, I think is, you know, a realistic goal for us. 42 and 24, just flip it backwards. How does that sound? Right. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ben, I appreciate your time so much, my friend. I know it's a busy time of year for everybody, but especially you and trying to get acclimated to a new race team and get everything off the ground. So your time's appreciated. Your perspective's also appreciated. Wish you the best of luck in LA and Daytona. We'll see you down there. All right. Thank you very much. And we are back. I told you that man, he knows his stuff. He knows what he's talking about. I think uh, he, John Hunter, Legacy Motor Club 42 group, they may impress some people this year. And I think a lot of people are already expecting good things out of the group, but maybe they can sneak into victory lane, contend for top fives and top 10 finishes on a semi-regular basis. Time will tell and we shall see, but... I wouldn't bet against Jimmy Johnson, Matt Kenseth, Maury Gallagher, Mike Beam, everybody over there at Legacy MC. So thank you so much to Ben. Thank you to my man Leighton as well for helping coordinate that conversation. Much appreciated, gentlemen. Best of luck to you at The Clash in Daytona and all of 2024. And that'll do it for episode 212 of Victory Lane 2.0 right here on your favorite podcast platform. If you like what you heard, please do me a favor. You can leave me a review can do so on apple i think that some other platforms may have enabled a new feature so you can do that on their platform as well but please leave me five stars tell me what you think good bad ugly and different preferably good and preferably not bad or ugly uh also preferably not indifferent for that matter but i appreciate all your guys's feedback and your loyal listenership as always be sure to keep it locked here for some more episodes as the non-racing season comes to a close and the racing season approaches and uh as always sirius xm nascar radio we got you covered there soup to nuts for all your nascar news 24 7 365 we'll talk to you next time party people be good